Hello, everybody. This is David Goldsmith, and welcome to the Age of Infinite. Throughout history, humans have made significant transformational changes, which in turn led to the renaming of periods into ages. You've personally just lived through the information age, and what a ride it's been. Now consider that you might right now be living through a transitional period to the age of infinite, an age that is not defined by scarcity and abundance, but by redefined into a lifestyle considering, consisting of infinite possibilities and resources. The ingredients for an amazing sci-fi story that has come to life as together we create a new definition of yours, our future. The podcast is brought to you by the Project Moon Hut Foundation, where we look to establish a box with a roof and a door on the moon, a moon hut. We were named by NASA through the accelerated development of an Earth and space-based ecosystem. Then to use the endeavors, the paradigm-shifting thinking, and the innovations and turn them back on Earth to improve how we live on Earth for all species. Today, we're going to be exploring a fantastic topic. It is mapping out space traits to create choice. And we've got with us Ohad Harlev, how are you, Ohad? Thank you. Great. Well, uh, before I give you the introduction or his short background, which everybody knows is short, in all the years of history, we've never been approached by a PR company who was looking to have someone be interviewed. And a few months ago, I received this email that they have a client that they'd like to see if they can get on the podcast. And through a series of events, the two of us, Ohad and myself, have become friends, and it's been a, a nice experience to have gotten to know him. And so here's a little background on him. We never give a lot, but he's the former CEO of Lightloop and has been involved in the productization and commercialization in the space industry for over 15 years. I, I know we're going to have a lot of, we're going to get a lot of value out of this experience. So Ohad, do you have a outline for us? I do. And again, I wanted to say thank you. This is so exciting. Um, I really uh, enjoyed our conversations um, and it's been amazing to get to know you. But since this is a surprise, I'll start with my topic. Okay. Um, I want to start with uh, the topics I'm running, going to try to uh, discuss today are what are the current uses of space? Okay. What What are the current Wait, 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 wait. What are the current uses of space? Next, number two. What are the current explorable traits of space? Explorable, uh, explorable traits. Tra traits. Yes. Yep. Okay. New applications that we can build using these traits. Uh, we can build using these traits and the next is it just about space or also about other celestial bodies i.e moons mars etc other terrestrial bodies and the last topic i usually uh, i want to call it if they if you build it they will come well that's so so amazing they will come. Okay, so let's start with number one. Uh, just uh, for those of you listening in, it's, it's, you've probably heard this before. 
I write these down. I've never heard them before. I don't know what the bullet points are. So that's why it takes a few moments to get them so that we're all learning together. So let's get back to it. Number one is what are the current uses of space? Good. So as we all know, when people say space, then of course there's a space exploration part of it. NASA, astronauts, International Space Station, beforehand Mir, et cetera, moon exploration. But primarily today, space is used for commercial reasons. And when you say commercial reasons, vast majority of the space industry is still communications, Earth observation, weather, and GPS. Yeah. When I say major, that's where most of the effort is. That's where most of the um, uh, money is deployed. And that's been around for... I want to say decades. Some people will say you can't say 30, 40 years is a is decade. It's been yeah, around for a very long time. It's been as it's been around as long as there's been space. That's our focus. It's been uh, all of the four that you've spoken about. So I, I definitely agree. And then people usually say, yeah, but you missed the biggest one of all. And I say, have I? And the answer is yes. What about launch? Look at SpaceX. So everybody, that's the best known private yep. space company in the world. You haven't mentioned launch. I said, that's right, but I haven't mentioned also building satellites. <laughs> I haven't men- and I haven't mentioned the guy who is bulldozing a brand new spaceport in New Zealand. Yeah, There's a lot could, of you said you, you said current uses, not Bingo. infrastructure. Bingo. So I want to focus for a second and while we're talking in the next couple of minutes or hour about once we get to space, what do we do there or how we can we use it better, not how to get there how to get them more efficiently, and how to later on use the data or whatever we're getting from space, data, materials, assets, how do we use them on Earth? That will come in later. For now, we're just talking about we've got out of Earth, how do we use space? Okay. And for those who do not know, wait, communication- Wait, wait, wait. Yes? Just remember, you're just talking to me. Yeah. Okay, you said for those of you who do oh. not know. That's how I speak even when I speak with myself. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you've got challenges. We're not going to fix that today. No. <laughs> okay. So uh, you said once we get, you get to use the space, better data materials, assets. Okay, got it. If you go to, uh, when you said, uh, oh, well, I'm familiar with all those four elements. Mm-hmm. It's about money at the end of the day. And people say, well, how much money is the space industry and space industry is big it all depends on how you want to count it if you want to count um, launch if you want to count the all the components that people are actually building in order to put in satellites mm-hmm. and if you want to count count in all the revenue from every member in dish networks or any other satellite operator that gives tv service to home then we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars Right, but the, but my question is always the space economy. From my point of view, is what are we doing? How much um, GDP or how much are we actually doing in space? Because if today we are doing in space twenty or thirty billion dollars, and that sustains a two hundred sixty billion dollar industry, if we increase the amount that we're doing in space, then we're increasing the infrastructure. To create those dollars. So, so you use the number 20 to 30 billion as the what? 
as what's created as, as the actual revenue of real activities in space. And the way I got to that 20 to 30 billion is that communication, which is the biggest kind of a moneymaker in space, is approximately 17 to 18 billion dollars of revenue per year. That's what the satellite operators of every kind, mobile satellite services, fixed satellite services, TV, etc. everything that's it. about that's, that's all of billion. it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So but that's the that's the infrastructure in space is what that's the, the services. That's, that's the, the services. But it's that's not the, the annual revenue. That's the annual revenue. Okay. Now if you add to that Earth observation, which is in its infancy, but it is making money, you add to that GPS, you add to that commercial revenue from the ISS, from experiments, soon to be uh, space tourism, space pharma, which is again in the infancy, you add all these infancies together. A lot of this is not public information, so I don't have access to it, but I'm assuming it's between single digit, it's in the single digit millions of dollars. And that's why I said, I take the 18, I add a couple of single, single digits, I get between get 20, 20 to 30. To 30. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that industry, that 20 to 30 is actually <laughs> supporting a $260 million of economy. So $260 billion, which is yeah. building the satellite, launching them, testing them, earth stations, um, ground infrastructure, antennas, etc. If we use that scenario of give or take a 10 to 1, that means that if we're able to get an extra billion dollars of space revenue, maybe we'll be able to get an extra $10 billion in the space economy. So for every billion we put in, you're saying that we're going to get $10 billion on the on the Earth side of the on equation. On the surrounding. And, right, and that's, the surrounding. That's my, yeah. But you, you, so the the challenge that I'm having because of the way you're phrasing it more than okay. anything, is we first got the infrastructure that's in space, then mm -hmm. we've got the surrounding. But you take the surrounding and you also, in you you're you talk Including about the it. building. No, you're building, launching the ground infrastructure. But within the Earth observation and, and the fees that people pay for GPS, so the fees mm -hmm. that people pay for doing, uh, supporting the infrastructure that helps UPS sure. be able to make its deliveries uh, the way they do, mm -hmm. that's, wouldn't that be larger? Wouldn't there be a third tier? Oh, that's uh, the impacted tier. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely, there's the space impact of what is impacted in our day-to-day -day if there is no space. So one is space, let's call it space economy, what's going on in space. Sorry, space uh, commerce, which is what's going on in space. Second is a space economy. And third, what is impacted by space? And to be honest, in today's world, I think nearly everything's affected from the ATM that needs uh, the time from the GPS system to uh, every TV service, every cell company, every company in the world, every, nearly every call, every phone call goes. So well, every, every Zoom call goes through space. Yeah, so you need to effectively, the, the part of the economy, global GDP that's actually being touched by space is huge. 
But the, the way I kind of, I say yeah. this to individuals, if you live in a tier four and a country, mm-hmm. tier one is mm-hmm. you don't have any infrastructure. You don't, you, this is the lack of most, uh, I'm going to say, tr- uh, the tier tier one is the bottom tier two is you might have a refrigerator mm-hmm. you might have a bike tier three is you have a home a sofa you have a car you might have and then tier four is where we uh in where you and i are living mm-hmm. you have a home you have this infrastructure and in tier four you can't live a day mm-hmm. you can't live a day without space touching you i would say you can't live an hour well, yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> I, I'm holding a mouse every so often, and a mouse comes from space technology. So, yeah. yes. So, okay. I'm assuming that everything we do, and and moreover, everything we will do in five mm-hmm. years, will be related to space, okay, somewhere, way, shape, or form. I agree with you. And therefore, I'm saying if we can increase the amount of quote unquote space revenue. We'll, we will increase this the space economy. So you're you're looking at driving that bottom number. And yes, that's that's an interesting take because I'd never thought I hadn't thought about it from that angle. I'd always come at it from the side of growing the the bigger ecosystem. And you're saying grow this one twenty to thirty. Add a billion, you add ten billion. So mm-hmm. if, if we go from thirty billion to forty billion, we've just increased our entire ecosystem or by yeah we're we're going another well every hundred every 10 billion Mm -hmm. is a hundred is a hundred billion hundred billion yes correct yeah okay Mm -hmm. that makes sense it's logical i agree yeah and you add a billion here a billion there pretty soon ends up to be real money (laughs) yes so that's the way i'm looking at the current use of space and again everybody's familiar oh i'm familiar with the way that space is used and even people that don't know how space is used, they use it anyway. Oh, yeah. But the question that I keep on asking myself, and I've been asking this probably since when I first joined a space company and someone said, I wasn't a space guy, I was an engineer, I was on the commercial side. And someone said, I don't want you to touch a customer or touch a, a, a contract or touch anything before you understand what we actually do. And for the first month, he just sent me to sit in teleports and speak with engineers. And when I came back, he literally tested me gave me a test to see that I know what's going on. And then he explained that I know because I was looking at the technical and not on the fundamental of how do we, that company was making money out of putting satellites in space. It's a, I, I, (laughs) isn't that so amazingly frustrating that the in that people I run into Mm-hmm. all the time. If you don't un- ask or want to push, if you don't understand what rocket is going up, if mm-hmm. you don't know about this one launch, or if you don't know about this one company, you are not capable of working in the space industry. So yes, I've seen that. <laughs> but I was very privileged with this specific guy who was my first CEO and in the space industry. And he didn't care, although he knew everything and anything. He was, you know, he still is part of the space industry, that um, he didn't really care that I knew what what nut and bolt was connected to how and what, but he wanted me to understand the basic physics, the basic commercial, the basic 
concepts. That's what he cared about. He didn't care about which satellites went on which rockets or which who's the manufacturer of the satellite. He cared about what does a satellite do. And okay, I think so, that's the so basic... you name three. You use physics, commercial, and concepts. Yes. So give me, because I want to hear what you learned. Give me cool. from that time frame, what are the one, two, or three physics, the one, two, or three commercial, and the one, two, or three concepts? Sure. So I, at that time, I was a lawyer. And I oh, came from I'm sorry. Uh, real estate. I know, I know everybody, <laughs> but it's fine. I'm, I'm in, I went through rehab and I'm fine. Um, and um, so what I learned was the following, we were in satellite communication. Okay. And at the end of the day, I said, I learned the following. A satellite is really a building. It's a commercial building in a certain location and you are leasing out floors some companies are leasing out the entire building. Some people are leasing out the floors. Some people are leasing out rooms, i.e. WeWorks. Um, you have, if you want a location in that building, you buy it based on the term. The longer the term, the, the, uh, short, the bigger discount you get. Mm -hmm. And so that's the commercial side. Literally, a satellite is just a building. You just and, and need to allocate frequencies. That that's a I, I love that you started with that one. I, we both know Yossi Amin. I was in mm -hmm. uh, in Space Pharma in Herzliya, Israel, mm -hmm. and he showed me one of their CubeSats. Mm -hmm. And he said, in the top, we do that. It's only what is it, 30, 40, it's uh, 50 centimeters long. I don't know mm -hmm. the exact length. And he said to me, This portion does this, this portion does this, and this portion does this. And he said, In the bottom here, we have a laboratory. Now, the way you look at a laboratory probably is a bunch of people walking around with jackets mm -hmm. and uh, and they've got beakers and all sorts of things. But in here is a micro version of a laboratory. This does the same thing, but all robotic and automated. Mm -hmm. And I was, oh, so that's a laboratory in space with a different definition. So you just described that, which is great. Thank you. That's number one. What's the number two then? A satellite is basically a mirror. It takes the signal that is beamed up to him, to it and download and sends it back at a predefined angle to a, what is to a preset footprint to a certain area in the earth that it's supposed to download. So it's literally like you were playing as a kid with a mirror to shine light where you wanted to go. Okay. All right. Number, th is there another one out of that? There physics? is number three. Yeah. Number three, eh, sorry. Number two for physics is depending on your application and how you need, if you are want to move, if you don't want to move, if, if how stable you need the service, you choose the applicable radio frequency band, which means it's not one size fit all, fits all. You've got to say, this is my application. An expert will tell you, you need to use or band A or band B. Because the of legal, legal constraints or- No, because of physics. Because of physics, okay. So for example, everybody used to use C-band. Okay, yeah. that's, that's awesome. If you want to go for an MSS to a mobile satellite service application, you want to go to maritime in the middle of the sea, lots of moisture, lots of storms, L-band will give you a much better service. If you want to use KU, C-band is still good, but if you want to use, for example, what everybody's moving to KU or to some extent KA, not as good. So if you want to go for maritime, stability is important to you. Go with L-band. If you want to go maritime and you want to go with high bandwidth, go with KA. I don't know these things, 
but someone who's but, you, but you understood you understood that someone has to make a choice correct as to the type of frequency used to optimize whatever type of product services you're offering you in space okay great there you go. yep um so that's the two key physics let's call it that way yeah and then we talked about commercial, commercial. how to explain it yeah which is really simple everybody knows how to rent a building and lease it out mm -hmm. um and then the last thing he said, he mentioned, and I know it's not very, very unique space, but it is related to number one and number two. Mm -hmm. And that is, it's all about customer needs. In order to really tailor the right building in the right location, you've got to understand what the customer is looking out of the service. Because most people say, all I care about is connectivity. I want to be connected. But what does that mean? Does that mean are you moving 24-7? Do you have peaks in your use? There are so many questions that a customer doesn't think of. It doesn't matter if it's communication, earth observation, the same thing. How often do you need a picture? What kind of resolution do you need a picture? Do you need it in bad weather? Do you need changes? If you ask a very specific set of questions per industry, you can then tailor the solution because in today's satellites there is a lot of flexibility and you've got to choose the right solution for the right problem and the customers think they know but they need guidance not in what they need but in the right questions to ask them so they will tell you what they need yeah, it's an exploratory discovery to figure out which is the optimum way to be able to cre create the piece of property in space and connect to whatever type of application that's out there so that they can do their work and you can and the satellite uh, the company could do its own yes okay that's cool those are, those are great those are really good Okay, so let's continue on then, I guess, from you talked yeah. about speaking. Uh, he, he told you that you needed to spend this time. You yeah. needed to learn. He came back. He tested you about the fundamentals of space. So where did you go with this? So based on that, I figured out that communication was great. And this, again, was 13, 14 yeah, years ago. Um, but pretty soon I figured out to myself, I wasn't relevant for that company, was that people are primarily using it for, space, for, for communications. But when I really dig down into, if I want to break down space, it's not just about what band do I need for satellites. Then there are other questions out there that are a lot more fundamental because if I ask just that question, mobility, uh, sustainability um, issues with weather, etc. I'm still focusing only on communications. Maybe I need to ask different questions of different customers and maybe space can give that solution. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's take, and I'll move in a second to traits, but one of the biggest advantages that the communication industry uses space for is coverage from one point in space in geo you can see a very, very large area of the earth. Now, people are looking at that as footprints, whatever, but if we break it down just one extra level, space gives us coverage. How can you use that coverage for other applications? 
So people are saying, oh, wait, wait, that's not a communication thing. That's weather. You put a weather satellite, you can see a lot more. Fair enough. You can also Earth observation. Fair enough. But for that thing to happen, you've got to go, as I said, go one level below and say the basic trait that communication is using is the ability to see from one point a huge coverage. So the actual trait here is coverage. And we can continue down and then really analyze what are the traits, the basic, basic traits of space that will enable us to increase this, the, um, the, the, the field. So I, and I don't know if this is an exact parallel, what I have learned is that if you're in the International Space Station, uh -huh. which is at low Earth orbit, mm -hmm. in Project Moonhot, we tried not to use abbreviations because not everybody knows what they mean. So in the International Space mm -hmm. Station, you can see one eleventh mm -hmm. of the Earth, one eleventh of the Earth at all times. How do mm -hmm. you define coverage? Is there is there a a chart? Is there a way you can analyze it from low Earth orbit, medium Earth orbit, high Earth orbit? How do you, you define this word coverage? So coverage in my mind is, well, first of all, let's talk about things that it, what are the factors that define coverage? So what co define coverage is, are you stationary or are you moving? What is the altitude? What are the, what is the, how would I put it? What is the, sorry, what is the altitude? What is the angle of view or field of regard, which is the same, yeah. two same contact? Yeah. And what are you using as your sensors? Meaning, when you said the International Space Station, then when you can see an 11th of the Earth, your sensor is, the astronaut's eyes, mm -hmm. in which have a certain field of view, which is very, very wide. If, however, you're using a um, RF transmitter, it has a certain field of view of regulatory, but it is narrower than our eyes. So coverage is depends on the applicable sensor, whatever it is, a physical sensor, eyes, com, uh, radar, etc., cameras, altitude, and coverage can be moving. So as you said, from the International Space Station, you will only see 11th of the Earth at any time, but now it's a different 11th. And now it's a different 11th. It's interesting. As soon as you started going through it, I'm saying, oh my, I made a huge mistake in my assumption when you use the word coverage. I was thinking broad instead of thinking, which we've uh, the the concept of being geosynchronous with the Earth, mm -hmm. so that I had I was didn't even go there. So you're talking about whether it stays with a certain location on the Earth, mm -hmm. so that that piece of a piece of coverage is always covered as compared Correct. to moving, mm -hmm. so that it can see different types of uh, surface areas, or it mm -hmm. could track. Or it can. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, once you use the word coverage and change it to be a more expansive type of modality, you've mm -hmm. got so many more options. Yeah. So, if we want to go for a second for the basic traits that I think are, and again, I'm sure there are dozens. So, what I, are the current explorable traits? Is that where we're on? We're moving to two? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah, we're going to two. Just remember, I'm taking notes, so it yeah, helps to right. put Apologies. my notes in and know sure. where we are. Okay. Sure. What are the current? Go ahead. So one is we said about. I, I will start with this. You know, I, I already mentioned my biggest uh, dirty secret, which was I used to be a lawyer, and every lawyer uses therefore and disclaimer. So my first <laughs> disclaimer is that um, this is a very non-exclusive list. These are what I think are the key. And I'm sure others will think that uh, one, I'm wrong. Two, that I missed one of the biggest ones. And the answer is, whoever thinks that, if you think that, I'm wrong. I'm 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 absolutely with you. I'm sure and that I'm, I missed I'm, the biggest I'm one. fine. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that just like you is the word coverage, that something comes up in my head that will help yeah. us with Project Moon Hut and moving mm -hmm. us forward. So yeah, this is great. So okay. I, I so take your disclaimer. All, I take your disclaimer. I take your therefore, and then we mm -hmm. can move on. I signed and you, and, right you, and you raise it and, and you raise me with gravity right and, and I actually put my <laughs> signature next to it so there's a little mark I put my initials so that we've we're all perfect here okay great so the key traits that I've identified is and we'll I'll, I'll just list them for a second then deep dive into each one of them we said yep. coverage lack of gravity which could be micro or non-existent depending on location um vacuum distance temperature and legal framework those are the key traits so that um i think if we can use one or more then we can start building new applications and new ways to use space that are one, not only very useful to us, hopefully useful to the economy, maybe even useful to science. But if we increase the echoes, as we said, it's all about every dollar you enter into mm -hmm. one place, then it will increase the entire chain effect. Yeah. So I think the most common one, and everybody's using it, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, pharma, um, microgravity. There are endless applications so so there. we just finished coverage we're going to lack of gravity and we're going to cover micro and is that what we're doing is this number yeah two? so we'll no yeah we'll, we'll yeah exactly okay so so one has already I, been I, done I, in the last one which i got and now we're going to two so just okay correct yeah so let me mark them so that way i won't re revisit them no, it's so, okay if you do. Often we go in and out. It's just that you've given some great information and yeah. I'm I'm sucking it in. I want to make sure that I I don't miss anything. So mine's sure, no more problem. so we don't we don't miss. Yeah, no, I may go back to coverage for a second. Inherently. Yep. I actually put a note here for coverage. So there's yeah. there's plenty of space for it, but lack of gravity. Yeah. So we're trying microgravity at the moment. Yeah. So microgravity, there are multiple and I must admit that the actual application of microgravity is more uh uh, chemistry and biology, which, which are not my area. I'm a bit strong, a bit stronger with uh, uh, physics, uh, but we see that there are a lot of medicines, um, a lot of plants, a lot of human cells, and a lot of regular standard manufacturing, such as Z-Bland fibers, Z-Bland fibers, fiber optic cables that can only be manufactured in micro or zero gravity really oh oh yeah so for example if we took z bland z bland one of the biggest problems with 
a regular fiber optic that's been, you know, the entire world has been dug up. One of the biggest problems with my, with fiber optics is um, loss. Every kilometer you lose X dB. Loss is measured in dB. Yeah. Um, if you're able to produce a different material that has loss, you will use, you will need less amplifiers, less repeaters, less power. Everything's much better. The only problem is you need a better material, which is not only better, it has to be cost-effective. It has to be um, available. So, so far, they have identified a material called Z-Blend, um, and that is um, you can get literally under a tenth, 10% of the loss. So a signal will go 10 times fast, 10 times longer before you need to reamplify it. The only problem is you can create it with tens of meters each time at in the International Space Station. That's what they're manufacturing. It is really? That's the, so there's there's a manufacturing plant oh, on yeah. the International they, Space they, Station. They've done a couple of experiments and they've actually manufactured D-band fibers uh, single single digit mid, okay. uh, meters in it. Yeah. Okay, so they're not. It's not a plant. It's a testing bed where they're creating sure. a certain length to be able to utilize, but they're not producing kilometers of this cable. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. So, and but, and just just for my good. knowledge, how is it spelled? Z blant Z Z B L A N. Okay, that's what I wrote. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there are certain things that you can literally just build. Or, or manufacture or grow in space. Um, and I'm sure that for everything I mentioned now, I've missed 10 areas because as I said, biology, biology is not my area, not that physics is, but biology is not all chemistry, but I see the huge amount of endeavors in this field. And again, as a guy who comes from the economic side, I usually say that if someone does something in a commercial company, there is a commercial application for it, which means there is a need. So we've so, we've had Stephanie Countryman do mm -hmm. a podcast, and she did it on uh, biology experiments that, mm -hmm. dealing with insects and animals that they have done in space. We've had again. I brought him up earlier. We've done Yossi Amin has been on. Mm -hmm. He's talked about a little of the biology that's being done. So wherever you can fill in, you're giving a whole different angle by going towards the materials, material sciences, mm -hmm. and that's great too. So wherever you can give me and us sure. some understanding, that's fantastic. Okay. So, um, so we there is a lot of materials, again, uh, physical materials such as uh, fiber optics and others that you, you know, you can use the trait of, let's call it microgravity to build these things. Now you need to have a chemist or a physicist sit down and see what can I do. Like uh, a lot of material, by the way, the actual uh, re the, the biggest uh, researcher in the field uh, is done out of USC, and they're the ones who are actually uh, in cooperation with NASA to build Zeeblan on the space station. So um, if we were staying at the trace level, we'll talk about applications in a second in the next bullet. Then the first trait is microgravity, which is well, which is Clear. That's the second. Actually, the first one was coverage. The second one was gravity. Third trait. Well, I want to jump yeah. uh, because you said microgravity and no gravity. Yeah. So, can you give an example 
of a no gravity application? A no gravity application. Because you said there's micro I, and then you said there's no gravity. Correct. So is there one that we've found already or are we just saying that? I'm not aware of it, anyone. I'm not so aware of any application so far that is using zero gravity as, as a trade that's needed, but it is a resource that if someone needs that kind of environment, you can create it on Earth at a huge cost or get it in space. The, Maybe getting it is cheaper. The one, and, and that's okay that we don't have one yet. The I think the most amazing piece of information that I learned from Yossi was mm -hmm. a combination of his website and talking with him just, I don't know if we shared it as much on the podcast, that he had shared when you're creating a molecule on earth and you it starts to form, gravity will pull down the creation of that molecule. There's a force mm -hmm. of gravity. And that when you go up into space, you can create a molecule and because there's no gravity, the the atoms can form in structures. They can get to where they need to be without being pulled down. And once you get, a, say, a cylindrical structure, you can put in a keystone, you could put in a pin, it will hold it all together. Then you could bring that molecule back down to Earth and replicate it on Earth because now you have a, a one-off, a modular piece that you could work with. And yeah. that, that kind of construct of understanding that we're not talking about microgravity doing, but what it mm -hmm. does is it enables the ability to be able to form structures that yeah. gravity would pull it apart just because there's gravity. Does that make sense that's, what I say? It? It's 100%. That's exactly. You just said what I, I told you that in advance and you just copied word for word for what I said earlier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Glad that I'm listening. But we haven't found, we, no, so the difference between micro, aware of. the microgravity and zero gravity are probably, my guess, is going to be, there's going to be more of a difference between gravity on Earth and the microgravity than oh, there is going to be gravity and not microgravity and zero. It's yeah. that, that, that little extra might not do as much as just the fact that we're in a microgravity environment. Not at all. You're 100% correct. The extra is very incredibly insignificant. And take into account that physics wise, there's always a something pulling you. Yep. Okay. So, it diminishes and to get to zero, it's very hard, but for some applications that may be important. It's well, just something that we need to think of. The, interesting, of the interesting thing is in my mind, I'm just very quickly going is we've got earth, we've got atmosphere, we've got low earth orbit, medium and earth orbit, high earth mm -hmm. orbit. Then we have the space between, and this mm -hmm. is uh, the space between the earth and then the orbit and a little bit of atmosphere around the moon, and then we have the moon, mm -hmm. and that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight on the Project Moon classification system. But mm -hmm. reality between these two structures, these two entities, there is no zero gravity. Mm. No, of course the not. Lagrange point has, but there's still a pull. The only way to get to zero mm -hmm. would be, uh, and actually, I might be positive because you've got the sun's gravity. Yeah. To, to you're always going to have a celestial gravitational pull someplace. So I agree. I, I'm, you know, I, I will stand correct. I'm not sure that zero, but it is the the micro part will go will diminish. Correct, and that's what that's what I was trying to get at because I couldn't make get my mind around where we would get to zero. And now walking it through with you, I can see that we'll always have a gravitational pull. It's is it becomes down to in your structure. 
the traits mm -hmm. maybe yeah. at at low low earth uh, uh low earth orbit you get one type of microgravity where medium will give you an application to create and i'm just making this up a better z band z band mm -hmm. and then if you can get yeah. you can get a little further out you might be able to get instead of 10x you might be able to get 13x because you can yeah. create a different molecule or Bingo. a different structure Okay. Yep. So it, uh, you're you're right. I, I will create. It will never go to zero, but it will go better. It will go lower. Right. It's a, it's a long tail. You've got yes, this very very long. Tail. You've got this. You've got very high on Earth, and then you go to one sixth in the Moon, but you're still not at zero. You just and then in between, you've got relative relative different variations less. between. Perfect. Got yeah. it. Okay. So okay. the next one, gravity, um, a vacuum. Vacuum. So there are a lot of applications that need vacuum. And you are creating vacuum on Earth. And creating vacuum is expensive. I'll give an example. Laser communications. Atmosphere is very harmful for laser communication. If you want very long range laser communications on Earth, when you say very long laser communications on Earth, if you're an amazing setup, you can get tens of kilometers, 50, 60, 70 kilometers, let's agree that it's sub 100 kilometers, and that's an optimal scenario. However, in space, you can have laser links that will, if you have a big enough aperture or a big enough mirror or receiver, you can go for ever, effectively for tens of thousands, sorry, for hundreds of thousands of kilometers. There has been a communication between AlphaSat and the moon and back, which is give or take 384 minus 36, because it was in geostationary orbit. So 350,000 kilometers, and it can go way, way, way lower. So that's, the, that's third, because there's no atmosphere, there's nothing interfering with the laser, and therefore the laser can continuously go uh, with, because it's not running there's into no any loss. particles. Yes, there's no Correct. loss. Correct, correct. There's no water, there's no weather, there's no um, moisture, there's no all the things that really affect. So the third trait is vacuum. We'll talk about how we can use that in a second. I'm sure there's, and I'll give a couple, quite a few examples of uses of vacuum in a second. Perfect, I'd love it. Okay. Uh, next trait is distance. So you're not going to give vacuum, you're going to give it later. I'm going to go back afterwards. I'm going to go into applications. Okay. And how each application uses one or more of the okay. traits. Okay. So I'm just, it's just for space on the paper. That's yes. why. Yes. So we're, to, we're going to go to distance. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Distance. So people, distance is expensive. And when I say that, I'm sure you are laughing because distance, why would distance have a cost? And the answer is, if you want, we just said, we want to have an experiment with, uh, with laser communication on Earth, and I need a range, which is 100 meters, you need to build me a 100 meter building, which is, okay, not, not that hard. But if I need uninterrupted range of 1,000 kilometers, can you build me a building that's 1,000 kilometers uninterrupted long? No. If I need for my application, whatever it is, a very large, uninterrupted line of sight or distance for certain applications, because Earth is 
populated because we've got trees and buildings and people and infrastructure and the biosphere and birds and the bees and everything, then getting uninterrupted long distances on Earth is very, very hard to do. In space, it's very easy to do. Space is big. And if you don't so, care where it is, it's enormous. So you've, you also have the curvature of the Earth. So if you're going that distance, that also becomes mm -hmm. a challenge. So now you're saying if we can use distance and space between, let's just use Mirth, Moon and Earth, mm -hmm. we could do experimentation between the Moon and the international uh, low Earth orbit. We can do from that distance or between space in that in the space between the two and we can do very large-scale experimentation and develop mm -hmm. new products and services out of that yes okay and by the way it's not only about you know curvature is okay but if i want to know to store something that is super valuable a physical object that is super valuable okay it's but it's very big Hypothetically, if we do solve the problem of the cost to go into space, then maybe for some things that we want, some elements that we want to store for security purposes or for other purposes, maybe if distance and area is not the issue, then maybe it'll be easier to do it in space. So it's not just about curvature, it's about the physical hugeness. I know that's a bad word. No, it's, it's a good word. So when you think of, of what, yeah. you're going to give is, is, an example is, is, later, but what would be yes. an example of huge uh, physical store, large, what are you thinking of? So I know of someone who has uh, wanted originally when I was with Lightloop, he originally wanted to build a server farm, huge server farm on the moon, where the sole purpose is that if the server farm on the earth is hit, He's got a backup, not in the same weather zone, but not in the same terrestrial zone. Yeah. Let's ignore why you wanted to do that, but something that's very big. Another thing that I know people are now doing in very remote areas on Earth is agricultural banks, seed banks. They're not heavy, but you want to keep them in a place that they won't be infected. As an example. Okay. Great. Okay. Last two things. Temperature. If you want to go really, really cold, or we want to look at the bigger picture, really, really hot, you can do it on Earth with artificial um, measures. AC, extreme AC, ovens, but you can also get it for free in space. So for example, if we take computing in on satellites, the problem is not how do we cool off the satellite that we have on data centers in the ground. The problem there is how do we distribute the heat out? Because once we are able to get the, the heat to the surface of the satellite, you don't need AC, it'll cool itself. So Earth space will give us extreme temperatures that could be useful for certain uses. 
Yeah, and we did have uh, Bianca, who was on, who she's a thermal control person. And we did talk mm-hmm. about the need for one of her roles is to figure out the dispersion mm-hmm. of heat that yes. needs to be on any type of uh, out of earth type of structure. Correct. Correct. Okay. And then the last trait is the legal trait, which is, and this started from a apologies out there, but by a a blunder. And the blunder was that um, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a group of people who uh, they go by the name of, I think that they, they've created a virtual country called Asgardia. Yeah. Um, and they decided to uh, launch a thumb drive of data on, I think it was a SpaceX uh, launch in a, in a uh, CubeSat. And the idea was to each one got two megabytes of data that no one would be able to touch it because it's in space, legally. Um, and they launched it. And uh, then it turns out that that is not exactly true because like a vessel, a maritime vessel, each satellite has its own flag. The flag of the satellite of the uh, satellite is the flag of is the country from which it was launched. So it doesn't matter who operates it, who owns it, who built it. If something was launched out of the U.S., the U.S. has it's a U.S. bearing that satellite is a U.S. bearing flag uh, uh, vessel, and the U.S. law applies to said space object. Is that exactly However, the same for maritime? No, in maritime you can choose which flag. Right, that's what uh, I thought. You can you can yeah. buy you can build it in one place, mm-hmm. and ship it to another, and put the flag of that country on it. And, what you're saying and here you can, is, and you can ch- and you can change it as many times as you want. So you can be in Liberia today, and then you can register in Panama, and and, and there's a legal procedure, but it's very doable. Here, on the one hand, it's very very, it's fixed. Once you launch it, it's done. But once you have that flag. You are part of all the laws of said nation apply to you and to whatever you're carrying. Okay. But what if you're not on a vehicle? What if you're on the moon? What if you're quote unquote floating in space? What law applies to what's happening there now? If a human doing something, the law that applies to that human will apply. Or maybe not. Or not. Yeah. You, there's no. There's no definition of what that. What the law is, and no one has been able to. No global consensus has come to that. So this is going to be a challenge for quite some time. But is it an opportunity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, um, if you are able to do something in space, pure space. And there's no law that applies to it, but a certain government wants to apply its jurisdiction to whatever's happening there, then it can't do that. But then it has to apply. But then since humanity won't abide by a some a lawless activity, then they'll go into the next thing and say, who's doing it? Who's controlling it from the ground? Oh, you're an American? The American law will apply to you for what you are doing. You're French, it will apply to what you are doing, which means we go back to personal laws of 
this subject matter, and I'll elaborate about that in a minute. So it actually is a very, very big opportunity that enables you to legally choose the law for some applications that are favorable for your commercial endeavors. I'm not talking about illegal endeavors, I'm talking about com legal commercial endeavors. Okay, yep, I get it. And I, and I do know, uh, having lived outside of the United States as an American, the mm -hmm. you do these discussions do come up because of taxes because of jurisdiction even though i was an american living in hong kong or i was in luxembourg or whatever what happened was i was still under the jurisdiction of the united states government when it came to for example tax law but when mm -hmm. i still had to follow the local laws when it came to how they operate yet a canadian says I don't pay any taxes because I'm mm -hmm. outside of the country and therefore I don't have to fall into that jurisdiction. They have said, no, no, wherever you are outside, it's your issue to deal mm -hmm. with, but inside you don't. So, so each country has its own structure that when it comes to finances or it comes mm -hmm. to um, overview, meaning mm -hmm. protection. If America's well known for our, the American embassy protects the American, but not mm -hmm. every embassy in the world will protect that person from its local jurisdiction. Correct. Okay. And therefore, if you wanted, for example, if you were able to choose and you wanted that protection, you may choose, if you were able to, be an American abroad. That's what you want to. So you can, there you is an example of something you can choose to actively take a certain advantage. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, and and, and I, very quickly, yeah. the one is I I took advantage having a an, being a Hong Kong resident card. I wasn't a resident, but a, mm -hmm. we we got the status. I was able to take advantage of their healthcare system. Bingo. I was able Bingo. to go into a hospital, show my card, and get x-rays, visit doctors, everything that in the States would have been three to maybe 6,000. And my total bill was about 125, $1,200 Hong Kong dollars, about $150. Mm -hmm. And I took it, I use that jurisdiction capability to be able to make choice. Yes. Thank okay. You. Got it. So those are, the key, those are the key traits that I've, I think I've identified. As I said, I'm sure I missed the biggest one. No, and no, no, you did it. This is great. This is expansive. It goes from zero to a larger opportunity. So these are fa fabulous. New applications. So now we know those. We have this, these traits. How can we use them? And again, I'm not going to go with standard with what's out there anyway. Okay. But let's, yeah. I will uh, touch for, for the first time and only time my previous, um, uh, 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 position at Lightloop. And for example, when we went to Lightloop, then Dr. Joel Moser, the chief scientist of Space Force, said, you guys are cheating. You are getting vacuum and you're getting distances for free because on Earth, you won't be able to get 1,000 kilometers of vacuum for, uh, with, you know, in a straight line for free. So just step back for a moment. Uh, yeah. Lightloop we talked a little, we've never oh, really probably. gone into sure. what you were doing. So I'm really Fair interested enough. in knowing what that's, yeah. what the technology and the applications are. So sure, Lightloop's technology is about, was, or is about building 
hyperscale data centers for storage in space where the data is stored on lasers, on light beams that are communicated between satellite A to B to C back to A. So creating a loop of lasers that is communicating in space, putting in customer data on that loop. And the loop could be very, very big, equivalent to terrestrial data centers, the biggest terrestrial data centers out there, giving you huge amount of security, huge amount of flexibility, and some other very big uh, benefits. But the concept is storing data in space online. So, so the ABC is kind of uh, equivalent to a RAID 5 in a server. Mm -hmm. It's it's mapping out simultaneously across multiple data centers so you never have a risk of losing your data. We would do that with multiple loops, but correct. And again, yeah, multiple ABC loops, right. Not, okay, yep. And and yeah, we are to, we were, we were we aren't well, they are talking about uh, hundreds of satellites in low Earth orbit with multiple different routes and multiple different constellations. So super secure, super redundant. Um, but when we wanted to do this, or when when we started this, then it was about where do we find a place that you can have very long laser loops without it being interrupted. If you need distance and you need vacuum, then the logical choice is space. Mm -hmm. So an example of how you use vacuum distance, well, actually also law, because if the data is stored in motion in between satellites, then the law that will apply will be the law that applies to the user, not the law that applies to the satellite because nothing is on the satellite. So we're also using, they were also using the legal trait but also about temperature because you don't need to cool because there's, so here's an example of using multiple traits mm -hmm. for one application. Yeah. Another example, you mentioned uh, Yossi Amin a couple of times, Space Farmer, that uses, it does use vacuum, okay, clean rooms, etc. It does use microgravity, and you can create a brand new application. And one of the coolest, again, just because I'm a geek, so one of the coolest uh, applications I've heard of is more and more cars are now being um, updated over the air. Uh, Tesla's do it, now Ford has announced that they're gonna start doing the software upgrade and firmware upgrades to the car over the air. But I know of at least one company that they're planning on launching MEO satellites. In MEO, you've got a very large uh, coverage. You're in a, in a longer period of time above- And that's medium Earth orbit. Earth orbit, apologies, yes. Um, you are in a relatively uh, longer period of time above a certain area. And they're planning to use satellites for updating firmware and software of cars as they go into view and out of the view while you are driving. So there you're gonna use the distance they have, the coverage, and uh, to give a new application. You asked me earlier about uh, 
storing big things in space. So I said, grain or any biobank that people want to build. Are you familiar? You are probably familiar with biobanks. Yeah, the, and the main one is Sweden, correct? Yes, correct. Um, but people are definitely talking about doing a biobank. So the biobank for the storage of a grain. seed or a trade or a grain, in this case, yeah. a grain, so that we have the original grains. So just in case there's a, uh, a, it's not a pandemic or epidemic, but there's a disease yes. that destroys a certain crop, the original seeds still exist so they can be repropagated again. Bingo. Um, I have heard of uh, arcs. Now, this is super science fiction because you need a very large area with gravity and with air, but building an arc that will sustain certain life forms above. Good, bad, science fiction could be, but you won't be able to do that without the concept of the physical distance separation and the vacuum barrier between your bank slash arc and the earth so sometimes you're not using the actual didn't you just I, didn't you just need a boat like a very big boat and you bring them on two by two yeah but then the unicorns don't come because oh yeah right the unicorns didn't get on so that, that's you what know, they had a party at the time and you see what happens <laughs> okay so you, you need the distance but you also you need the vacuum you need air uh, to be able a, to a vacuum gap, yeah. vacuum gap. Okay. Sometimes the trait is not the use of it, but the, the fact that it's there. Meaning, a vacuum. I don't need vacuum for my application, but the fact that I have a vacuum between me and my possible disease, the vacuum gap is what I need. Yep. As an example. Okay. Got it. So we talked about Space Pharma. We talked in length about Lasercom. Yeah. How about CPUs in space, i.e. the compute model of space, which means I know of at least three different very large-scale ventures with huge well-known companies that are building, going to go space internet. And we think about what space internet is, and you ignore space and you say, what is internet? It has a transport layer, a communication layer. It has sensors or users, i.e. terminals, storage, uh, users. It has um, commute, compute power, and you've got the internet. You can do that and have one really true world wide web it's no longer a world wide web it's a mirth wide web wait you do one around the world you do one around the moon and yeah. when you connect the two networks then you've got the mirth network right that's that's perfect that's the mirth economy yes and as you probably saw i'm sure you did a lot before me that uh, ESA is planning on experiments of moon of, of satellites around the moon. I announced it this week, I think. Um, and we know that there's going to be a going to go to a 5G network on the moon, just connected. So 
And, and I, I, I saw that the European mm-hmm. Space Agency is doing that. I also have heard people that the challenge with all of the announcements is that they're always announcements. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> and there's no, yes, there's no follow through. The, the, the one thing about this, compared to any other industry, pounding your chest and yelling mm-hmm. at the top of the mountain before you review, well, you're not really at the top of the mountain, you're at the bottom, but you're pounding like you've gotten there. That's a big mm-hmm. thing about the space industry. Yes. Okay. So, so yes, if you, if you can create a, uh, a moon internet and you can create mm-hmm. an, and there is an earth internet and you can connect them, you again, we're using distance, vacuum, uh, microgravity, we're using temperature because you have to, mm-hmm. maybe there's um, repeaters and legal structure. Now you've got mm-hmm. the mirth, you've got a mirth internet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we have now, literally, now that we have it, now it's the time for every, all the entrepreneurs, all the really smart people in the world, which I'm not part of, to say, okay, what are we trying to do? I want to create a fiber that has less loss. And my issue is, pull it, is, is, is gravity and facilities to pull the fiber. It pull, um, creating a fiber is called pulling because you're literally stretching it to make the glass to make it so long. Mm-hmm. Okay, space is the answer. But is the International Space Station a place to manufacture? No. If I really need to build the manufacturing plant, then let's go to the next point. Something can be done in quantum in space, in a spacecraft, and that could be a CubeSat, like we talked about, a 50 by 50 by 50, or a 10 by 10 by 10, or a larger, a larger spacecraft, which could be a school bus, like you know, one of the juice satellites. But at some point in time, you need to take a decision. If you want to use any one of these traits, are you going to build another international another space station, which I know a lot of people are thinking of, and I've seen again three or four different plans for space stations, or do you go and say I can use most of these, if not all of these, to some extent, on another terrestrial body, i.e., Moon, Mars, etc. So the next point is that you, when you have the application you want to do, at some point, if you want to really create a oh, manufacturing When you say the next plant, point, you mean, you mean number four? In, yes, the moon, Mars, or other, other space bodies, yes. Right. That means that if you want to build a manufacturing plant for uh, manufacturing fiber optics, then there are a couple of things you need to take into account. One is the cost of bringing out the materials. Two, the cost of bringing down the materials. Three, no, sorry, bring down the actual product. Three, the actual physical size of my manufacturing plant. And at some point in time, for certain things, for example, fiber is an exact, a perfect example. Building it on a spacecraft doesn't really make sense. It will make sense to have a permanent space station, moon station, that will enable you to build what you need, have the space, but then you've got to have more infrastructure, meaning transportation, 
back and forth of material and product. So deciding that you need the traits, are that you, you want to utilize the traits are great. But then at some point in time, which happens very, very fast in the process, you need to go back to the infrastructure, launch infrastructure, satellite dishes, lenses. It doesn't matter, depending on the industry. If you're talking about doing something on the moon, then you will have to bring in materials and bring out products. So transportation, infrastructure. And that's where the 10 to one ratio that we talked about earlier comes back into play. Because yes, you're only creating $1 worth of product, but you'll have to create so much more infrastructure to support it. Correct. You've added a layer of definition to the, and I'm going to say a reverse calculation for the things that the moon hut delivers. Mm-hmm. So let's assume that the moon hut is a seven to $8 billion project. Mm-hmm. It's not seven to $8 billion that we spend on the moon mm-hmm. because no one's buying it on the moon and all the money, currency, whatever you want to use is being transferred and utilized on earth. Mm-hmm. But the moon hut and an added value of a successful group of individuals living on the moon, moving towards our industrial park where we would be manufacturing, but just that in and of itself will give a factorial. And I've used the number, which is interesting. I'm saying the moon hut is a, is a hundred X. Mm-hmm. And so what you've defined, because we use 8 billion, you've defined a hundred X factorial, which becomes an exponential growth mm-hmm. to the space ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So the math all works. Just yep. Just a different way of, uh, yep, of reframing it, different way of looking at it. Yeah, which, which I do like because there's, <laughs> as you and I, just prior to this, com- before we started this, we talked mm-hmm. about the, in this, outside of the space industry, individuals want to know what you're working on. Why is it interesting? What could mm-hmm. be the value? How does that work? Inside mm-hmm. the space industry, it is a pull down techn- a pull down society. You can't work. You can't do it. That's not possible. I know. I know mm-hmm. better. I know mining. You've worked in a mm-hmm. mine? No, no, no. But I've been studying mines. Have you lived yeah. on the moon? No, no. But I'm I'm an expert in mining. Are you using a primary? What's a primary? What do you mean, what's a primary? Say, I've worked in a mine. I ran a rock quarry. So I know there's yeah. a primary, secondary. There's separation. There's a process. So you've mm-hmm. done all the paper. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference here is what you're you're actually defining that for someone who doesn't understand the space industry, it's not a pull down, it's a pull up is, mm-hmm. okay, what does that mean? And now you, you've given a mathematical formula to 100x de- deliverable, which I, I love. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and did so, you follow what I said, by the yeah, way? I did, I did. I, okay, I, okay. I, just I, followed, said, I agree. No, no, I, I, I think, totally uh, agree. Listen, when, one thing I've learned in the past is one, when I agree with someone, I don't uh, argue with them. But I would frame what you said as, as someone I used to work with used to say the biggest problem with innovation is um, the not invented here syndrome. Meaning, if you've got a really good idea, but I didn't think about it, then I will do everything in my power to tear your, you and your idea down. 
Because if it's such a great idea, why did I not think of it myself? Correct. And there isn't was that, isn't that sad? <laughs> so I'm not going to name names, but I once w- 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 had a conversation with someone in a huge, w- one of the w- best known companies in the world. And he said, listen, he's seen these ideas, hundreds of these uh, a month. And he said, listen, we're going to have a 30-minute call. If you're interesting, most likely I'll finish earlier. If I finish early before 30 minutes, you're full of, you full of beep and I don't want to talk to you again. If we last the 30 minutes, you will only hear one thing from me. And that is, "Eh, it's kind of interesting. If you hear it's "Eh, kind of interesting. That's a good sign. I want to have, means I want to speak with you again. Yeah. Otherwise, most people will say, yeah, but yeah, it just, you know, I had once someone who said, listen, you cannot do laser communication in space. And I said, okay, why? And they say, it's very simple. Light in space travels at 300,000 kilometers a second. I said, that's true. You hit a lens when you hit the satellite. I said, that's also true. The lens is made out of, of um, glass, gla- light and glass travels 200,000 kilometers. There will be a bottleneck of photons on the lens because okay. you're bringing the 300 and they're getting it at 200. And I said, that's not how it works. Communications <laughs> out there for decades. What are you talking about? Sorry, you cannot do laser communication in space. Yeah. End of call. <laughs> so- I, I, we're, we're creating a website we've been working mm-hmm. on it diligently. And one of the things that I've put on, for example, our media section, when someone fills out, they want to talk to us, mm-hmm. we're not going to be as visible. We're not going to be out there stomping the ground. Mm-hmm. When you, after they fill out the form, it, there's actually an agreement you have to agree to. And it says, you have to check this. I agree that the intention of our interview is to help the cause and is not our intention to find fault to fame to track from the Project Moon Hut directive. And then it says, suggestion, if you can't agree to this to these terms, please go and contribute to a cause or project you feel will make <laughs> a better future. Yeah. We're not here for you to tell us we're not going to do it. If you're here to help us find a way, we'd love for your help. But there are plenty of other people you could pick on. You don't need yeah. to pick on us. That, that's <laughs> so, fine. Uh, so, yes, I this hundred up. But, my point was that you did a fantastic job in my mind, and this is why these interviews is to reframe something that might be useful in an, mm-hmm. in a context when this conversation arises. 100X, yes. numbers, the value, because I've always done it from the top, $330 billion industry, which is estimated today, you said 260, it doesn't matter, to a trillion. But if we can add X amount to the infrastructure side, Mm-hmm. Then what we've done, or from the from the the original the side, the base. Yes. Then what we've done is we've done hundred x. We create that exponential mm-hmm. curve. Absolutely. So it, it's it's just a way of explaining it, the storytelling behind it, which is perfect. So I love Fair it. Enough. Okay. Cool. And then the last point I had was, and this is going to be the shortest point of them all. It's if they if you build it, uh, or if you build it, they will come, and that's really relevant to. Uh, Project Moonheart, but also to any any commercial thing, meaning that if you were able to create a very simple understanding or education in the world that 
space gives you certain traits. You know physics, you know biology, you know chemistry, you know fiber optics. Whoever you are, you go and do your thing because you know what you need. I think space people, which is a really bad name for it, yeah. um, are really fixated on applications. If you're able to give the platform and then let the users, users are physicists, are commercial people, are users, define what they want to do and how they're doing it, the, it is going to be endless, endless possibility. Um, and give the infrastructure to someone and explain what the traits are, he will come up with 10 different ways of using that trait, vacuum, legality, that you haven't thought of and you will never be able to do. Because one thing that I really, quote-unquote, hate is when someone, people, you know, I grew up in the UK, I was born in Israel, I've got friends all over the world, and I've got a, you know, friend calls me up and say, how's the US economy? And I say, oh, it's okay. You know, depending on where, what part of the economy, but it's okay. I really want to build a business in the, in the US. I said, why? Because America's cool. I said, that's not how you build a business. <laughs> you build a business because you see a need for something. You think that need is more emphasized in a certain geographic region. You think that certain geographic region can sustain your business activity, and therefore you do it. For example, did people didn't move out to California because they thought California was cool? People moved out because they found that really cool thing called go there, and they went after it. They went after large um, agricultural areas where they needed the land, and they slowly moved west because they needed land again. Trade huge portions of land, fertile land that you can grow things on, then you can find minerals and move over that. So people were looking and people populated this country based on those basic traits that were in the ground, gold, minerals, farming land, physical space, lawlessness. I don't want the, the lawman on my shoulder until that's why I'm going out west. So those were same thing that we were doing in this country let's say 150, 200 years ago, well, sorry, 200, 250 years ago, you can do in space today. Yeah, no, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And what's going through my mind as I'm hearing this is how to create, and we'll talk about this offline with, our, with the technology we're building, Mm -hmm. how to be able to input these traits into the model of moving individuals away from talking about space, but mm -hmm. talking about creating an ecosystem within Mirth. Mm -hmm. Because the conversation is often and is about space, and it's an ill-defined word. What does space mean? And one of the challenges is often is when an individual, in my mind, because I'm not a space person, when an individual talks about space, I get lost. And mm -hmm. I, there's the Project Moon Hut classification system. I don't know if you've seen it. 
I don't remember if mm -hmm. I've seen it. It's in the video that I had sent to you. Mm -hmm. the, the Project Moonhawk classification system that goes between Earth out enables us to see this these pieces of land, low Earth orbit, medium Earth orbit, high Earth orbit, the space, uh, the orbit around the moon, and then the moon. It helps us to understand geography, and ours is to build a larger ecosystem. It's not to build a space company. Mm -hmm. It's to build an ecosystem that is inclusive of moon and earth or Earth, And what mm -hmm. inside of it has, as you've defined very eloquently, it has traits. So what traits can be for a person who is non-space oriented, opportunistic, uh, someone who is interested in social purpose and, and changing the world, mm -hmm. what traits could you amplify, leverage, manipulate, modify, so that you can get the highest value return and achieve your desired outcomes. It doesn't matter that it's space because- mm -hmm. Exactly. It doesn't matter. It's just, no. an, it's an ecosystem opportunity. And I Correct. like the way you've done that. It's, it's, all, it's the next continent that we haven't used yet. Right, and if you, if you move, uh, one, of, one of our team members in Germany and I are working very heavily on building a paper that's gonna be reviewed by some major company. And he said yesterday or the other day, he, he's known in the space industry as a space person, but he said, when people mm -hmm. ask me what I'm working on, he says, I'm working on an ecosystem project. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, what yes. do you mean? You're a space person. He says, no, no, I'm not building mm -hmm. a space company. I'm building an ecosystem. And that's what we're working on. We're building an ecosystem. And they get confused because they want to hear space in the words but he's building an ecosystem and that's his focus. If we build this, we enhance the ecosystem. If you build this, we enhance the ecosystem. The more we enhance the ecosystem and let's use America because it's it's often known around the world without mm -hmm. the trains going from east to mm -hmm. west, there would not have been as much movement without mm -hmm. the person who was challenged with figuring out time scheduling and mm -hmm. time, the one logical time came from trains showing up in one place and leaving at another time because everybody was using sundials and different type of technology. Some one, one individual was tasked with figuring out how to be able to make the trains operate more effectively. And very quickly is you, before there was time, before you said I could meet at seven o'clock, trains would show up at sundown and leave at, at a certain time, but that's not mm -hmm. equivalent. So they actually created a timing structuring system for trains. And that helped to say, we're going to have a movie at nine o'clock. We're going to go someplace at seven. A lot of it came out of trains, the infrastructure to allow that to happen to the movement of goods and services. And so almost equivalent to your California uh, mm -hmm. analogy. I love it. Anything else you wanna to add to this? I will just add one last question. Sure. Who invented the 19-inch rack that, you know, the standard rack that you put all computer, you think about a data center, you've got all those racks. When was that invented? Okay, I'm gonna take a guess. Yeah. It was created in 1976. Nice, go back 60 years. The computer rack? Yep, it was used for railroad signaling from the 19, from 1911. Okay, so <laughs> I got the railroad right for the first part, but I missed the year. <laughs> yes. 
how so did the I, rack how did the rack actually tie it together because the rack size of 19 inches yeah so why, why they, did they, did they have racks yeah they actually had physical racks to put in all they, all the signaling they needed all the signaling signaling equipment for railroads and that's how they placed it and then it rolled on and AT&T took it in the 20s and put it into their system uh, so, but yeah but the actual physical box was built that way for signaling equipment in railroads and that's similar to why is a uh, why are the axles bingo uh because it was Over. the width of a roman uh, yeah, yeah, Roman, and and, Roman and it just kept on. People inherited it, but it doesn't mean it's the right way. Correct. Cool. <laughs> well, th this was fabulous. I always, always love when an individual comes and takes me, us, on a journey that is unanticipated. And once again, for those who you are listening in. Our conversation, I make a phone call to an individual. We, we decide we're going to do an interview. And then we decide on the title, the title of the program, not the content, but really just where this individual wants to go. And, and it can take, I don't know, you and I probably talked an hour and a half the first time, maybe mm -hmm. two. Mm -hmm. We found the topic and then we don't touch it anymore. I don't get the outline. I don't understand the content. I don't know where he's going to go with it. None of that. So I learn alongside of, Anybody who's listening, I, this is not, I, I don't have any research papers or anything in front of me. I haven't seen it. So this is great because you took me on a journey that I really enjoyed taking. So thank you very, very, very much. Uh, with you. that said, for the time. with that said, I want to thank every one of you for taking the time out of your day to listen in. And I do hope that you learned something today that will make a difference in your life and the lives of others. The Once again, the Project Moonhot Foundation is uh, around because we're looking to establish a box with a roof and a door. One day you'll all share the whole story. But there's a story to the box with a roof and a door. And it was named eventually, two years later, by NASA staff. They called it Project Moon Hut, a box with a roof and a door. And we look to accelerate the development of the Earth and space-based ecosystem, then to turn the endeavors, the paradigm shifting, thinking, the innovations back on Earth to improve how we live on Earth for all species. We're not about humans. We're about all species and continuing on. So let me ask you, uh, do, oh, do you have a, what's the single best way to connect with you? Uh, the single best way to connect with me would be just my regular email and my personal email uh, would be uh, O-H-A-R-L-E-V, that's O-H-A-R-L-E-V, at gmail.com. Perfect. And of course, I would love to, we would love to connect with you. You can reach me at, and I'm going to change it. This is the first time I'm going to say it this way, is it's David at moonhut.org. I've always said projectmoonhut.org, but we've also got the URL moonhut.org. So it's David at moonhut.org. You can connect with us on Twitter at, at Project Moonhut or at Goldsmith is mine. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram at uh, the Miss at Project Moonhut is Instagram. And you can just look that up. You'll find it everywhere. So that said, I'm David Goldsmith. And thank you for listening.